let's explore Integral and five other spiritual poems. This is Lama Jigme Gyatso. Welcome to Meditate Like a Jedi. Today's first poem, Integral. Just as a bird does not fly ceaselessly, but comes to perch upon branch or power line or earth, likewise awareness spontaneously comes to rest, noticing its circumstance or its body or its communication or its mind. Buddha taught the four bases of mindfulness. They can support our trainings and awareness and release and love. They are neither mysterious nor occult, yet they are quite integral to enlightenment. Today's second poem, Ward. The Buddha taught meditation as a tool to let go of both our emotional cravings as well as our intellectual clinging. So if you are meditating in order to push something away or pull something else close to you, that may be manifesting, but it most certainly is not what Buddha would have called meditation. For mistaking pushing and pulling, for noticing and letting go, is quite a bit like fucking in the name of virginity. Could it be fun? Sure. But is it productive? No, not so much. Remember, Buddha's path of enlightenment is paved with noticing and letting go. Practicing anything else could be as futile as negotiating with a hunter droid turned nurse after you have stolen its ward. Today's third poem, Squishy. Concentration is like a champagne flute, rigid and easily shattered. Mindfulness is like a Nerf ball, squishy and resilient and durable. The wisdom of the Tao Te Ching cautions against rigidity and calls it yang. Let us practice the soft and squishy and resilient path of enlightenment. Today's fourth poem, Surest. There is no amount of stress that cannot be made worse with even just a little bit of resistance. So after you have noticed during your inhalation, be sure to relax during your exhalation, 
for that is the surest way to train in letting go. Today's fifth poem, Offering. Many fundamentalists teach of the need to perform extensive offerings with complex invocations and cumbersome visualizations. But in the sunset of his days, Patrul, the greatest Tibetan yogi, inferred that the highest offering is merely to blend eating and drinking with the practice of noticing and letting go. Today's sixth and final poem, Foundling. What the Tibetans call Ngonro, Americans call preliminary practices, and I call bullshit. Developed in 14th century Tibet, Ngondro assumes that one cannot practice the so-called higher meditations of Mahamudra or Dzogchen without first marinating in the fear of missing out, in the fear of death, in the fear of punishment, and in the fear of stress. Why does this school of thought do that? Because like most patriarchy, like most fundamentalism, it views the spiritual path through the lens of the brainstem, with all of its fears and aggression and competition and cruelty, which Yoda warned us is the path to the dark side. It then persists in barring entrance into the creation stage practices, into the completion stage practices, and into the great completion practices of the so-called great seal of reality until one first performs extensive austerities, a notion Buddha expressly taught against. The first austerity that Nondro teaches is that one must collect 100,000 recitations of the refuge prayer while performing 100,000 full-body prostrations before a Buddha image. The second austerity that Nondro teaches is that one must collect 100,000 recitations of the hundred-syllable mantra whilst begging and simpering for karmic purification. The third austerity that Nondro teaches is that one must perform 100,000 ritualized offerings 
representing the entire universe to one's teacher. The, the fourth austerity that Mondro teaches is that one must perform 100,000 recitations of prayers of medium or extensive length, beseeching one's teacher for blessings of body and speech and mind. And some traditions throw in an additional requirement of the recitation of a guru mantra, ranging from 100,000 repetitions to more than a million. Then, and only then, does Gondro permit one to practice the first stage of highest yoga tantra, then, after years, the second stage, and then, after even more years, the third. This is contrary to the teachings of Buddha. This is contrary to the practices of the Mahasiddhas of ancient India. Buddha taught that liberation from the tyranny of emotional craving and intellectual clinging could be accomplished in as little as seven years, or seven quarters, or seven months, or seven fortnights, or seven weeks, or even seven days. Who are the fiends who deliberately undermine the journeys of spiritual aspirants? What is it that motivates them? Could it be elitism? Could it be greed? Could it be pride? Could it be power? Could it be superstition? Who are the fools who have studied the great texts of Sutra and Tantra, who see the folly of Nondro, yet practice it, no less teach it, anyway? What is it that motivates them? Could it be fear of being shunned? Could it be fear of exposure? Could it be fear of starvation? Could it be fear of pain? Could it be fear of lack? Could it be fear of scorn? Could it be fear of obscurity? Who are the fools who have no formal education, who blindly follow the instructions of the rigid minions of orthodoxy? What is it that could motivate them? What has divorced them from the common sense practice of noticing the results of a course of action by its secular, be it secular or be it spiritual, and judging the efficacy of those actions solely by the results they generate? This was always Buddha's standard of truth, not how old a teaching claims to be, nor how popular a teaching is, nor, nor how intellectually beautiful a teaching may seem. 
but merely the results it generates when it is applied correctly and consistently and enthusiastically. What is it that has so divorced these so-called common folk from their inner bullshit detectors? Have they been dazzled by robes or by bad haircuts or ritual? Or the deliberately obscure nomenclature of needlessly cryptic terminology? When we read oldest tales of the life of Buddha or the lives of the Mahasiddhas of ancient India, we see no chasing after fear, nor embracing of asceticism. We see the opposite. We see both fear and asceticism tasted, and rejected, and shunned. Buddha's complete path leading to liberation's mastery of mindfulness, and insight, and love could be learned in about a season, could be practiced to the point of personal liberation in as little as a seven-day retreat, and could be practiced to the point of one being ready to instruct others in as little as a seven-year retreat. There is nothing ascetic, nor occult, nor mysterious, nor elitist, about seeking liberation from the tyranny of emotional craving and intellectual clinging through the practice of love and letting go. Just as sufficient physical health, nobleness of heart, and soundness of training can allow any foundling to become a Mandalorian. Let us conclude with a simple call to action. This podcast will never have any advertisements, so support us monthly on PayPal and like us on your podcast service to help others find us just as you found us as well. If meditation has felt impossible or boring or just out of reach, you are welcome to register at buddhajoy.org for the next series of live online meditation class webinars that meet once a week.